Alrighty, folks, here we go. Time for the General Knowledge Podcast, Season 5, Episode 8. Uh, a week later than um, we usually do, usually every two weeks. That was actually a three-week gap between, believe it or not, and I just did not have the time. I couldn't even get around to organizing a show last week, uh, everyone, so it's, apologies to the listeners there. Sorry to disappoint, and everyone's used to having us every fortnight for a bit of a breakdown of what's been going on. Uh, yeah, couldn't do it. Just so, Life got, got in the way big time. Um, yeah, I lost a dog, lost one of my, I had to put down one of my dogs again, and one of, I said that again, didn't mean to put him down again, I mean another one of my dogs I had to put down, so that's two dogs that I've lost uh, within the last like three or four months, so, uh, within four months actually, so unfortunately I lost my old boy, so yeah, it was a bit, a bit going on around the house, and then we had a whole bunch of other shit happening as well, so, um, Yes, chaos at the Maddox General Maddox household. So, but we're back. Um, no Andy today, though. It's just Ethan and I uh, here for this uh, show. So, get out, Ethan. Thanks for for joining me for a bit of a chinwag, mate. Good to have you back on. Thank you, General. Hello to all the listeners out there. How is everyone? Hope you're all doing well. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Back man. into the swing of things now. Yep, that's it. Yeah, definitely keen to punch out a show uh, for the listeners today. There's a fair, like a fair bit going on around the world, man, and in, in this country as well that um, seems to be moving sure. things towards a particular destination that we have mentioned before, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, like I mentioned, no Andy with us today, brother. We've got uh, just the two of us. Uh, Andy's um, expanding the uh, the Soames empire over in uh, PNG, as he does. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's back in order. He's doing plenty of business over there in PNG again. So get Andy when you listen to this. I uh, hope everything goes well on your uh, business trip over there. And get to all the PNG listeners if you're uh, over in PNG. And Andy's told you about the show, which I'm hoping he has. Uh, hopefully uh, you get a lot out of it as well. It'll be interesting if you've got some PNG listeners, eh, mate? Yeah, hopefully he's spreading the good word over there as he's expanding his empire. <laughs> spreading the gospel. Mate, he's a character. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He's a character. He just has so many stories. When we recently spoke on my member podcast, I had no idea. He, he just so casually said, yeah, I was up in the plane the other week and then one of the engines oh, sort of burst and blew right. and we had to go into the... I'm like, what? He just was talking about yeah. it so casually. Like, yeah. these things just happen in his life. I yeah. was like, okay. He just lives life. He lives life, doesn't he? He's awesome. Fucking Andy's such a good bloke, man, isn't he? Oh. Now he's out with the tribal peoples up in the <laughs> yeah. P&G mountains. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's... Um, yeah, he's probably, like, yeah, running, uh, running some plane operations in there, you know? Delivering some uh, goods to the to the good folks over there in PNG. No, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, but he is. Andy's such good value. And anyone <laughs> anyone who knows him, um, there's probably a lot of listeners who who listen to the show who actually have met and who do know Andy as well. And I'm, uh, I'm sure you'll all agree. Yeah, top bloke. Um, again, can't speak more highly of him. He's such such a fantastic guy. Um, but enough about that. He's not with us today. So uh, yeah, we've um, we're going to have to do the duo on this one um, now. I'm sure a lot of the folks around have uh, been hearing plenty of stories about the chaos happening within, I guess, the banking world globally, I guess you could say. It's really not just here. It's not just the US. There's things happening all around the world. Um, and there's a big push happening, uh, in which we'll get into as well. We have spoken about it before. We know it's on the horizon. We know it's part of the plan, part of the big agenda, which is, of course, um, pushing the world towards central bank digital currencies or cbdc's as they're more commonly sort of known 
Um, yeah, get used to that acronym, folks, because you're gonna you're gonna be hearing a lot of them, as, uh, a lot about them in the near future, uh, more and more. Um, and we're going to sort of take you on a bit of a journey today with the reason why we're hearing a lot of these things, what's been causing them, um, looking out for the signs. Hey, Ethan, you know, like uh, just just briefly, we won't get into it right now. We will get into it in a second. But things like you know, all the all the the bank branches within our own country closing. Why would they be doing that? There's a reason for that, you know. Um, what yeah. else have we got? You know, there are, oh, our, our own, of course, the the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia. Um, again, uh, over at TO2 News, which we'll get on to in a minute, you know, Reserve Bank launches the centralized digital currency pilot program. So they are going headlong into this, mate. They are all for it. Um, video posted up, which we'll, um, we will play a couple of videos for the listeners today as well, and we'll discuss them uh, as well. But there's one over at TOTT News called How Inflation Enriches the Politicians and the 1%. And I've got another video for um, for the listeners as well. And of course, the members watching. G'day to all the members. What the media won't tell you about the Silicon Bank... Sorry, I did it again. The Silicon Valley Bank Collapse. CV, sorry, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. So good information there on that on that video. Uh, we will get into those sort of things as well. But I did, um, just to kind of preface this, and I, I, I quickly dug it up now because I did hear some talk of it a little while ago. Uh, let me just zoom in a bit on this one. So the text is a bit bigger for the the members watching here. Let me just screen share, get my shit sorted here in a second, folks. Here we go. Let me know when you can see this, Ethan. All good, mate. You got me? Okay, so this, folks, this is over at the BIS. So what's the BIS? The Bank for International Settlements. It is the Bank of Banks. All right, so all the central banks around the world basically use this as their bank. Okay, it's the BIS. Um, and I remember hearing about this. I actually thought, I mean, that this was mentioned in Parliament or I remember hearing it, a, a British person talking about this and his quote or the the... The sentence was, it says here, Christopher J. Waller, CBDCs, or Central Bank Digital Currencies, a solution in search of a problem, is the title of his little article here. And I thought that was actually <laughs> really well said, to be honest, because what's what's wrong with cash, Ethan? What's wrong with it, brother? Like, seriously, do, we're going to still need it. They, they can't, in my point of view, they can't get rid of it. Let's just flesh this out a little bit right now. They can't get rid of cash, can they? Seriously, you need it. We still need cash. Not everything can be done with just tapping phones and, and, and you know using your cards and tapping cards and all this sort of shit or transferring between people's banking. You're still going to need some form of hard currency, in my point of view. I don't think you can get rid of it completely. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's 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 very interesting, General. You know, they they said that Australia this was Channel 9 and all of the major media outlets, they said that Australia will be effectively cashless by 2024. And they said that back in 2020. Mm. And you were thinking, well, how can all of this type of thing happen? And, you know, I have written articles as well talking about this sort of improbable situation in the current sphere of things in terms of going cashless. They tried to do this over in uh, Sweden, I believe it was, they want to, went to go cashless, but there was too many elderly people in the regions that couldn't access online, and so they had to revert back to cash. And I said, well, as long as there's still elderly people here in Australia, 
I don't know how they're going to get that in so quick because we will have a similar problem. Mm. And the second case study was Zimbabwe, where they have implemented a cashless society, but people don't have a trust in government over there. So people, there's almost like a second blood economy where people just deal in cash is, on their own. Is this the same Zimbabwe that issues like trillion dollar bills? Is this that you or what used it to? It is, yes. <laughs> no wonder they don't <laughs> fucking trust them. <laughs> Uh, absolutely right so but these are these are our two um case studies yep. really in the modern world about like completely cashless society trials and one was hey we trust the government the other was we don't and either way it doesn't seem like it's going to work but when you think about it a little bit more it seems like you know how these sorts of assumptions and these case studies are just happening within the current financial system. So it's like, oh, we're cashless, we can't access a bank or online or whatever, and it's all predicated to this model. But what happens if they change the model? What happens if we go through another cycle where they tell you to hand in all your cash and we're going digital and we'll send out teams for all the elderly and you get free internet here and blah 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 it's all 5g connected what if the the situation changes and we don't have any case studies to know where this type of thing would go so it, it's going to be interesting to see i find it hard that they're going to do it so quickly but at the same time and i've said this before it almost seems like we talk about great resets and stuff. It is a hundred year cycle. And I feel like it's happened many hundreds of years beforehand in the same way. I'm sort of piecing that together. But if you just look at the early 1900s, the thirties was the great depression. Now we're approaching the thirties again, and we're going to go through a similar financial situation. But there's what your, happened in the thirties? Mm. Bank runs. Exactly. Bank but runs. what happened? Yeah. And, and remember that came after flu outbreaks, wars, Spanish flu, similar yeah, things. After the, yeah, yeah. You know, eighteen Spanish flu, and then the thirties came. So it's like when you look at it, it seems to be a cycle. But what was the most important thing is the solution that came out for the Great Depression. We need to hand in all the gold. We're going to launch central That's banks right. gold and fiat currency. Yep, yep. The birth of fiat currency, this monopoly money that we've had for years, which isn't real to begin with, but, you know, it's a lot better than this digital dystopia that they're trying to introduce. And I feel like it's that same solution. And we'll get into what they're doing. This isn't just a conspiracy theory. They're rolling this out. Mm. But central bank digital currencies seem to be the new solution just like it was with fiat currency yep. and we don't know where that's going to go potentially you could study what happened when everyone handed gold in to see what the reaction was and societal consequences but i don't know if those case studies hold up in a world where they intentionally sort of drill everything down and the costs up of everything and then say hey well our only solution is just to change everything again i don't know how people will react to that especially in our sort of zombified society where 95 percent of people use these cards anyway 25 percent of them call for chips microchips in their arms so it makes it easier to yeah. pay you know that's what they say i don't know so, if i believe that figure but yeah well there, there definitely would be a percentage of the population i mean look the, these things are basically at sorry i haven't got this camera on let me just flick back real quick um 
these oh there's the missus these things are basically attached to people's arms and hands 24-7 anyway you know what I mean so what's the difference between them going like this or them going like this and touching the pay things it's, it's basically the same thing you know that's basically a chip in your hand you know what I mean like almost in a literal sense um so they're, they're, they're pretty much there already hey brother like uh, crazy stuff um and just, just what you Definitely. T- you just touched on this before, but I wanted to just read this sentence sentence out. And again, link will be in the show notes. But this is from that uh, that article on um, the BIS website in the, uh, the third paragraph. In all the recent exuberance about the CBDCs, advocates point to many potential benefits of a Federal Reserve digital currency, but they often fail to ask a simple question: What problem would a CBD solve? CBDC solve? Alternatively, what market failure or inefficiency demands this specific intervention? After careful consideration, I am not convinced as of yet that a CBDC would solve any existing problem that is not being addressed more promptly and efficiently by other initiatives. Um, so this article, this whole article basically is, is this, this gentleman basically saying we, we don't really need it. Like why? He's like, the whole gist of it is like, yeah, like... Maybe it, it can serve some purposes, um, you know, like there's going to be things it could facilitate, but there's already things that we're doing that facilitate these needs. Like, why do we actually need it, you know? Um, so I encourage listeners to um, to go and read that one as well. I won't dive into the whole thing. I just wanted to sort of bring that up that, you know, this is this is the Bank of International Settlements, even, you know, someone... Uh, actually, this was a speech via a webcast, it says there, by this gem- gentleman who is a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System at the American Enterprise Institute uh, in Washington, D.C. is when this was. 5th of August, 2021. So not that long ago, two years ago, guys. Um, it was saying that we don't really need this thing. Interesting, hey? That's... Uh, and it's a good it's a good to have that kind of perspective on these sort of things as well that even someone who's in these financial systems is going well what do we need it what are we doing with this why are we bringing this in you know, maybe <laughs> maybe he's one of the guys who hasn't been brought up to speed with the plan because <laughs> it seems like everyone else already fucking <laughs> yeah. knows the plan this is this is the plan I mean, they want this shit in so <laughs> yeah come on mate get get with the download you know you, but you he know must you have missed a couple really. of meetings ethan <laughs> His Zoom wasn't you, working. You missed that time. the email chain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the email chain. <laughs> you got you got excluded from like, the WhatsApp. Yeah, sorry, go. <laughs> no, you're a mate. Um, it's it sort of just reminds me, you know, this. It's just sort of propaganda. They say this in regards to why we need to get rid of cash. Oh, it's because of the black market. It's because of crime. And the, now they're saying this. They use the same rhetoric for. Um, cryptocurrencies. We need to crack down on cryptocurrencies because there's black market dealings. When if you actually look at the research, and we've broken this down on the website, I don't have the exact numbers there, but it's a f- small fraction of the amount of transactions that happen both in cryptocurrency and cash transactions that are related to crime compared to the vast majority of resources that are used just in the real world economy, right? You can still spend up to $10,000 without having to claim it. And they tried to ban cash payments over $10,000, remember, in the legislative parliament and everything uh, a couple of years ago, and that got shut down. But they've constantly been trying to attack this under the guise of, oh, it's dirty and we can't track it and trace it. And people are falling for that nonsense. It's like, that's good. You shouldn't be able to track and trace it. You already take 
enough office as it is robbery taxation is theft and you just spend it on what arming up an arsenal of missiles and all this stuff and weapons and <laughs> yeah. sending it all to ukraine in some money laundering scheme it's it's ridiculous that we should have to be watched for all of our transactions and everything that we do and and this isn't new like this has been creeping for years remember when the ato brought in that you no longer get your group certificate at the end of the year because they just get sent all the pay slips now so instead of finding out what you did over that past year once you filed your tax return they now know you just walk in and they, they would already know it's just linking the systems together so there's this big brother scope and people fall for it and as this gentleman said um in his article you know why what's the problem with it what is the real problem with it mm. and when you look at their arguments to suggest what the problem is it there really is anything isn't anything no. and we spoke about this not from our um, perspective from their perspective there are problems because the problem is they can't control things enough you know what i mean of course yeah yeah, yeah. But from our perspective, you know, free humanity, just trying to go about our business, we don't want to be monitored. And, yeah, it's they, we've spoke about this off air. It's, it's sort of like um, climate change in a way, how they're sort of going after a non-issue and they create an issue through propaganda yeah. and skewing of data and all of this stuff. And then the solution that they're going to introduce is actually looking for more problems. Mm. More problems will come from this whole climate renewable energy resources rations that we'll oh, all get time. eventually that's all the solution from this green agenda for a non-issue for an issue that they again skew and it's the same thing with this with digital currencies they're just saying a whole bunch of non-issues and they're creating a problem just as um, christopher said in this article mm. which was really good yeah yeah you're exactly right and it is a definitely a good analogy to you know when you when you point out those the similarities between the CBDC, um, you know, push in the, in the climate agenda. It's it's <laughs> just parallel, really. They're uh, side by side. They're doing. They're going to be doing the exact same things. This whole problem, reaction, solution thing. All right. So just on that, let's gonna let's jump to this first video um, that I've got here, which is the. Um, it's quite well done, actually. It's a really good video. Uh, I'll switch over to screen share here, and I'll play the audio through my phone because I can't share fucking audio through Skype but anyway <laughs> here we go <laughs> so annoying anyway we'll make do hey internet friends y'all wanted a video on the Silicon Valley bank collapse and its fallout so I'm here to deliver there's a lot of confusion around this situation and I don't want anyone to be confused so I'm going to explain the SVB collapse how it happened point to some similar events that have occurred in the past and discuss what it means for the future of our financial system here in the United States Real quickly, I just wanted to thank everyone who bought my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia, last week. You made it a number one bestseller. Basically, there's this bank, the Silicon Valley Bank, one of America's largest commercial banks, which financed over half of Silicon Valley's tech companies and healthcare enterprises. Just like how Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX was heavily involved with the government, the Silicon Valley Bank was very intertwined with government CIA projects. Since the CIA has been in Silicon Valley since the 1950s, using these tech startups to spy and collect data on anyone and everyone. 
through government investment arms like NQTEL, which I just want to point out for the government swindle aspect of this story, which we'll touch on later. Silicon Valley Bank was the bank these tech startups used, and the Silicon Valley Bank wanted to make money off their clients' money, so they bought up mortgage-backed securities with their clients' money. A common practice for banks, I might add. So... These were supposed to be sound investments, pretty safe, but with all the COVID fallout, the economy has been in turmoil, as you very well know. And during and after COVID, the Fed printed out more and more money, making the money printer go burr, which led to inflation. You know, the devaluing of your dollar and its purchasing power? Then, because they printed so much money and created this problem to begin with, The Fed hiked up interest rates, which means the investments that the Silicon Valley Bank purchased years ago were now worth less than when they bought them. Plus, they invested in long-term treasuries like 10-year investments instead of shorter-term ones, putting them in an even worse position, meaning that the bank lost their clients' money on these investments. So they started selling off their other investments to mitigate this loss, making it seem like they weren't in the red, but they were. And essentially, this sell-off signaled to their clients that something was amiss. So their clients went to the bank and demanded their money, but of course, the bank couldn't give their clients the actual cash in hand because they didn't have it. And that's really the key here, the key takeaway, because our current financial system is such nonsense. Banks never have the actual money to give it back to their depositors. So if everyone went to the bank right now and demanded the money out of their accounts, the banks would not have it. They just wouldn't. And it should be noted that most banks, if your bank fails, the government insures up to $250,000 per depositor. But this is the thing. The Silicon Valley Bank clients, they had way more than $250,000 in their accounts. So there's billions and billions of dollars here in limbo that the bank just can't give back to them. All this went down on Friday, March 10th, and on Sunday, the Biden administration announced basically they were doing a government bailout of the Silicon Valley Bank, promising to customers that they would get all their money back. Quote, by guaranteeing all deposits, even the uninsured money that customers kept with the failed banks, the government aimed to prevent more bank runs and to help companies that deposited large sums with the banks to continue to make payroll and fund their operations. End quote. Again, no money for the people of East Palestine. Yeah, the water's safe to drink there. Yes, of course. Drink up. Cheers. <laughs> but the government will get their checkbooks out for Silicon Valley and the DNC ATM. Now it's March 13th, Monday morning, and I'm recording this, and we're starting to see a few more banks go under and people panicking. Of course, people are worried that they aren't going to be able to get their life savings out of their bank. And to make it even worse, it kind of seems like this collapse was deliberate. Like there was foreknowledge because the records show that the Silicon Valley Bank employees got big bonuses on Friday, right before the bank went belly up. These bonuses were given out just hours before the bank was taken over by the government. Two weeks ago, the top people at SVB sold more than $5 million worth of stock. Furthermore, the CEO of the Silicon Valley Bank has been removed from the board of directors at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. So you're telling me that this CEO sat on the board of the Fed and okayed all these bad investments while basically having insider knowledge, the ability to insider trade, while sitting on the board of the Federal Reserve? They probably let him press the button once or twice over at the Fed, that money printer button. This is such a joke. 
I just want to make it clear that the Fed has pulled stunts like this in the past, the most famous time being 1907, from October to November of 1907, when there was a financial crisis in the United States, and it was marked by a string of bank runs and the failure of several trust companies and state banks with the domino effect of major stock market crashes and banks not having enough money on hand, and basically a total distrust in the banking system. It was a textbook problem-reaction-solution Hegelian dialectic situation, which ushered in a centralized bank which we now know as the Federal Reserve. All of this popped off in October of 1907 when the stock market dropped sharply, setting off the panic, causing a rush to get cash out of several New York banks, which couldn't keep up with the demand. As word spread about the bank runs, people all over the country started taking their money out of banks and trust companies. And as the panic spread across the nation, these banks and trust companies had to shut down, and the problem was made worse by the fact that there wasn't enough money to go around. In response to the panic, a group of well-known bankers led by J.P. Morgan came up with a plan to keep the banking system stable. The plan was to set up a pool of money that could be used to help banks and trust companies that were having trouble. And this whole drama led to the creation of the Federal Reserve System in 1913. The official narrative being that the system was created to handle financial crises in a more centralized and coordinated way. The Federal Reserve System could control the amount of money in circulation and the interest rates under the guise of stopping future financial peril. But guess what? They didn't prevent anything. They didn't prevent deadly squat. Now they just have a centralized control over that peril. I go more into detail about this event and the families who control the Federal Reserve in my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia. Basically, my core message here, problem, reaction, solution. Here we go. So what solution do you reckon they're trying to usher in this time? I can definitely see several potential outcomes. One of them has been discussed at length by many others, the rollout of a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. So with all the fear and panic that's circulating, it's suspected that many will go to their banks in a similar fashion, demand their funds, only for, guess what, the bank doesn't have enough funds to meet these demands, these needs, with enough cash on hand, which will lead to a total collapse in confidence of our banking system, more fear, no faith in smaller banks, and calls for government intervention, of course. Just like how the outcomes of the pandemic couldn't have been achieved unless they had the 24-7 fear cycle, they couldn't have gotten people to beg for a solution, lockdowns, medical tyranny, furthering top-down control of society, and the forced jib-jab. They couldn't have done that without all the fear. The same way they can't usher in CBDC without it either. The government already has the CBDC solution in place, as do governments around the world, where they can implement this in tandem anytime they choose. Oh, your bank doesn't have any money? Oh, no worries. We got you here. Here's our digital central bank coin in exchange for those dollars. You can either take the CBDC at the specified exchange rate, or you can have, oh, what's this? Nothing. And the biggest kicker is that the Fed, who created the problem to begin with, just as they did in 1907, is behind CBDC as well. Our entire banking system is a racket. It is controlled by a criminal cartel invented by a literal cartel. Back in Germany under the Rothschilds and shaped and maintained by the robber baron families who own the Federal Reserve as they're constantly at work to give the impression that the Fed is a government agency. When it is not at all, it's a private one. The other outcome I can see is that, you know, every fiat banking empire ends the same way. 
And this is one more hallmark of a dying empire and its death throes. And perhaps people are waking up to this whole sham. Perhaps it's run its course. It imploded itself out of total greed and evil. And maybe optimistically, we can replace it with something better. Why do we even need a middleman like the Federal Reserve, which is a parasite on our country? Why can't we have our own banks? Why can't the states have their own banks? Why does it have to be centralized in the way that it is? Why can't we all prop up and support something that would truly benefit the American people? And before y'all get your keyboards out, I know everyone's going to be asking me for solutions, what they should do. And listen, most people make sure they have some folding money on hand, three to six months of expenses and cash. Other folks buy precious metals, gold and silver. Others are going to go buy up assets and stocks while there's blood in the street. The more pessimistic among us will buy ammo and seeds. I mean, it's a choose-your-own-adventure situation. I say do them all. Let me know what you think, internet friends. Do you think this was a coordinated attack on our financial system? You know, I always... I'll stop it there. There we go. Um, and she made a lot of good points there, too. Um, similar, same to the ones we were saying there. Definite problem, reaction, solution. Similar to, like, with the pandemic. Control the, the narrative with the population through fear or propaganda, like we mentioned before, Ethan. Um, it seems like the... You know, we, we're seeing the writings on the wall here as well. You know what I mean? The, the plan is that the... The banks will say, yeah, like we're all failing, you know, we don't have the cash, but here we go. This is, it. This is what we're going to do. See, here's our way out of it. Here's this cool bank coin called CBDC or Commonwealth Bank coin or West coin or, you know, whatever the fuck they're going to do. They might call it RBA coin, you know. It'll be some sort of digital currency and they'll go, you can either have this and we'll give you, give you this amount of it. You know, probably give you a little bit extra, you know, we'll give you a little bit more because, you know, we want you to have it. It's worth more than what you had in the bank. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll take that instead then, you know. This, this is how they're going to do it. This is how they'll sell it to us. And we're seeing that, you know, the impl- implementations of this right now. Like she said, all these federal federal banks and um, central banks around the world are, have already got these things in place. Um, now, if you want to, when you comment, I'll just switch over to... Let me know when you got my screen. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Case in fucking point, people. <laughs> Take it away, Ethan. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, mate. No, it's it's uh, as she mentioned in that um, great video. We've got yeah, good video case studies all over the world ready to to do this and australia is no different now we are launching or the reserve bank has launched their own uh pilot program which will analyze 14 different cbdc what they call use cases and they're already in collaboration with our big four banks to achieve this so this is what we're seeing being rolled out right here in Australia in 2023. And it's a research project, and essentially they're going to establish use cases for a CBDC. And, you know, they're looking at what they say is the economic benefits that they want to determine for this sort of new research project. And there's 14 participants in this. So, obviously, the everyday... Joe and Small Bank weren't able to um, partake in this, but you do see some very big um, names in the list there. If you're just listening, some of them are ANZ, the Commonwealth Bank, 
fame capital imperium markets of course mastercard are in there and as you can see it's 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 sort of covering everything offline payments gst automation livestock auctions funds custody construction payments and 13 there general if you have a look at number 13 on the list tokenized bills Mm. we talk a lot about the gamification of society and tokens and how you know social credit and and this type of thing will be a a very big element of this new digital system there it is right there yeah a tokenized way to sort of deliver it this sort of thing and you can see that there will be 140 total use case submissions and again it's about the potential benefits of cdbcs and one of the pilots aims to develop what they say is a quote trusted and reliable form of money on the blockchain so they're also exploring blockchain technology to sort of centralize that to take that over if you can you know it's probably going to be a fake blockchain like if it's real blockchain technology it truly is decentralized but they'll probably introduce some you know fake sort of blockchain technology that has back doors and everything all through it that just sort of mimics that so they have control over it but they're going to be looking at all of that they're going to be mm-hmm. researching the digital era and in this article i talk about how the big four banks are, are following suit you know the commonwealth bank they welcome the opportunity to collaborate you know for a central bank digital currency anz have partnered with two universities to trial cbdc's um we've got nab bank who they've they've already been exploring it on their own um they've sort of concluded their own research um westpac every single sort of uh, group that you can imagine our big four banks are exploring this in tandem they're following suit mate yep yep and this is where it's all coming together this is where the the testing blocks are being laid the research is being there and we know every time they launch pilot projects that it pretty much means that it's a go you Mm. know they're not just looking up things sort of out of the whim so it, it is very interesting of course i highlight in the article things that we've spoken about already on this episode about australia becoming completely cashless by 2024 according to reports and also who owns our big four banks in australia a lot of people don't understand that we did an article on that which is included in the piece and you'll see why they're following suit it's because a lot of these investors behind it she mentioned jp morgan Mm -hmm. in that video jp morgan is a large shareholder in all of our large four banks i mean yep. goldman sachs yep. owns part of channel nine you know mm-hmm. like the, the banks everything's intertwined within this system and, that, and that's and why i'll just this take, is what interject we're there that's that's why when we say you're going to see all the propaganda and all the push through the media with, with all this sort of stuff getting on board and you know not downplaying or or talking bad about cbdc's but probably pushing the the country to go towards them is because their investors, the people who own the mainstream media, are also owning the banks. So that's why they, they're just hand in hand with these guys. That's why we're going to see it. Yeah, General, absolutely. And in that video you just played before, you know, she did some great groundwork talking about, again, that 100-year cycle, how they built up 
to that point, 1907, 1908, what happened in 2007 and 2008 here? We yeah, had our little a, mini that's crash. That's we had the crash, where, yeah. <laughs> where the banks were bailed out, similar to what she was describing in that video. Remember, you remember, a lot of people have forgot about this, but remember the horrors of austerity when Europe went through their financial crisis in 2013, 2014, all the way up to 2019 it was. Greece, austerity measures, Italy, you know, they were all in debt to the, you know, the European central banks and and this European Union that Mm -hmm. just had Goldman Sachs bankers on it. And, you know, the people of Greece, for example, were just bartering food in the street, like completely crippled the European economy this whole austerity experiment which was just completely like it is austerity is the worst type of measure and so you see how you know like because that's what happened 100 years ago the the federal reserve was brought in but it didn't happen overnight there was resistance and so they had to grind them down as she mentioned like with covid psychologically with the great depression until everyone finally accepted this fiat federal reserve nonsense thing that we're seeing so we're going through that similar process now they're going to grind us down until we accept this new central bank digital currency which they say is the solution it's going to help everything And, and like we were saying mate they want us to call for it they want us to say Please, won't somebody think of the children, you know, and be like, what's the solution? You know, (laughs) oh, here's the solution. (laughs) CBDCs, this is what we're going to do. Never mind why the problem happened or who caused it. Here's the solution. You know what I mean? That's what it'll be. Um, And speaking of which, like, look look at what's happened, um, you know, so prior to obviously the, the pandemic stuff, you know, rates were pretty much rock fucking bottom here in this country you know what i mean you could you were borrowing money for nothing basically and i remember when i bought our camry which was in 2015 so it's you know quite a few years ago now we got that through toyota financing and it was zero percent finance like for us it, we were like fuck that's awesome like you know no extra payments no fees no nothing you borrow that money you pay that money back and that was all we we're like that's like it's, it's actually going against usury because, you know, there was no inflation. I'm sorry, there was no um, interest on that loan. Like, that's this is awesome. But it's it was all sort of part of the problem to begin with anyway. You know what I mean? You're borrowing money that doesn't exist and it's creating inflation. And that's what sort of... It was, you know, devaluing the currency because rates were so low and all that sort of shit. And then, of course, you went through the pandemic crap. And what was the government doing then? Oh, here. Here, everyone, have some money. Have some money. It's free. Free money. Fuck me, like, who's paying for this? I'm sitting there going, I don't fucking want your money. I don't need your fucking money, but yeah, you you, you couldn't, it's not like you could send it back. They just put it in your accounts. And it's like, well, fuck, now I'm going to have to pay that back somehow, aren't I? Because it's not fucking free. It's not, it's not a welfare handout and it's not going to help everything, blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, granted, it probably had small term, you know, sort of benefits for some people who were kind of struggling. And even then it probably wasn't enough anyway. But the point is, that money's got to come from somewhere and they're going to want that shit back soon enough. And and here we are right now. What have they been doing for the last... Shit, how long has it been now? Um, eight, seven, eight months now? Where the interest rates have been going up every single month from the Reserve Bank of Australia. Yep. And we're now, you know, we, they're trying to, to curb inflation because inflation was so high, etc. So they've been raising the rates. Um, 
And look, I get why they've got to do it, you know what I mean? Because you can't have just constant money in the system all the time. Remember fucking 15, 20 years ago when interest rates were sitting at like 17% or something, mate. Like they were ridiculously high for things yeah. like that, you know? We're, never, we're not going to get to there, I don't think. It won't go that far. But what I think they've done is they've, they've, they've raised them up way too quickly, you know what I mean? And it's going to hurt a lot of people. And, but I think it's all, to me, it's by design. You, you, they could have done it, you know, a, a rate rise every three months, you know, and, and done it very slowly and, and incrementally and in very small amounts. And we still would have gotten to that point where you, you're excited to curb spending. You're going to be doing that. You're going to slow the economy a little bit at a time, right? What they've done with this, they're going to hurt a lot of people really quick. It's going to crash the property. The property market's going to go get fucked real quick, probably within the next six months or so, I reckon. By the end of the year, we're going to see some major difficulties because... You know, everyone was borrowing money with these fixed interest rate prices at rock bottoms. That fixed rate term has ended. People are now feeling the real pinch from their, you know, the, and the, of course, with all those rates so low, the property market went through the roof. You know what I mean? Like property prices were were ridiculously high. You have four hundred thousand dollar increases on homes that you when ten years ago you could have got them four hundred thousand dollars cheaper. Now you're paying four hundred thousand dollars more for the same property. You know, and I'm just talking Brisbane here. You know. Um, and now those people, yep. after that period's ended, they're going, holy shit, my interest rate just went from 2.1% to like, it's now yeah, um, 6% or whatever the, the, the rate, the, you know, the non-fixed rate is. Um, and they're feeling the pinch, you know, their repayments went from, you know, probably, uh, 600 bucks a week to like, you know, two grand a week or something, you know, in the matter of one month, you know what I mean? When that ended, bang, you're up here, you know, and you're fucked basically. And people are going to feel that pinch really quickly. But that's, and of course, what's the um, the roll-on from that is they're going to, oh, we, we can't afford to pay this. We're going to broke. We need to sell. People are going to put, you know, all the, the property prices will then start taking a dive again. It'll crash the market, all that sort of shit. Like, and that's what they're trying to stop as well. But, you know, you put up a, a, a interesting video as well, which I wanted to share with the listeners uh, and for, for the members to see as well over at TOTT News, you put this one up just recently, a pretty short March 12. Yeah, so, wow, just, just, well, actually this, you, yeah, you put this one up just before or on the same day as um, SVB went bust over in the States, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah, how, how inflation enriches politicians and the 1%. Central banks have spent decades flooding the economy with newly created money, no shit. Uh, we are told this policy, or what is called monetary inflation, is needed to stimulate economic growth and to keep unemployment low. Uh, I'm no economist, but anyway. But like so many of the justifications that politicians and bureaucrats offer for their actions, this one is a lie. A rapid expansion of the money supply is economically dest destructive and it impoverishes the poor and middle classes, exacerbates wealth inequality and permits a dangerous growth Dangerous growth in state power. 100%. Quote here, um, monetary inflation uh, confers no general social benefit. Instead, it redistributes the wealth in favor of the first uh, and at the expense of the largest, oh, sorry, of the laggards to the race. And inflation is, in effect, a race to see who can get the new money earliest. The latecomers, the ones stuck with the loss, are often called the fixed income groups. Murray Rothbard, what is a uh, what has government done to our money? Was the quote, and that's where it's from. But um, 
yeah, I think you know this. This was this is probably. I think this video is probably going to help explain a little bit about uh, to the listeners as well and to people out there who just really aren't too sure about what's going on and how it's sort of happened to us. Uh, so let me just cue it up here as well. Okay. Yeah, mate, it's um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You just witness all of this this happen, and and again, it's all propaganda. It's all just we need to do this to fix everything. But again, who benefits? Cubono. You've always got to yeah, ask. That's it. And in this case of inflation, economic transfer, the introduction of new currencies, we lose out. The middle person and the lower classes, the undesirables, we lo we lose out, mate. Yeah, that's it, man. All right, here we go. I'm going to queue this up now. Uh, oh, better go to screen share. So again, for all listeners out there, uh, a link will be in the show notes as well. And this is hosted. Uh, Ethan's put this one up over his website, but we'll just play this now so we can discuss. Uh, here we go. Prices are going up because there is an additional quantity of money asking, searching for a not increased quantity of commodities. In the newspapers or the theorists call the higher prices inflation but the inflation is not the higher prices the inflation is the new money pumped into the market it is this new money that then inflates the prices central banks have spent decades flooding the global economy with the newly created money we are told this policy or what is called a monetary inflation is needed to stimulate economic growth and to keep unemployment low. But like so many of the justifications that politicians and bureaucrats offer for their actions, this one is a lie. For as we will explore in this video, a rapid expansion of the money supply is economically destructive. It impoverishes the poor and middle class, exacerbates wealth inequality, permits a dangerous growth in state power, and sets an economy up for a crash. The real reason those in government favor the policy of a monetary inflation is because it is an effective means to transfer wealth from the citizens to the state. Monetary inflation breeds not only poverty and chaos, but also government tyranny. Few policies are more calculated to destroy the existing basis of a free society than the debauching of its currency. And few tools, if any, are more important to the champion of freedom than a sound monetary system. Money is a medium of exchange. Money is not wealth. Money can be used as a measure of wealth, but paper currencies and digits added to bank accounts are not a form of wealth. Rather, real wealth consists of the goods and services produced in an economy, which can be put to use to better our lives. A central bank can double the supply of money overnight, but this action would not make an economy wealthier. There would still be the same amount of food, houses, cars, planes, steel, lumber, oil, and all the other things that make up the real wealth of a modern economy. The wealth produced in an economic system and the total monetary value of that wealth are separate and distinct phenomena, explains the economist George Reisman. The one can increase without the other. While an increase in the supply of money by a central bank is not wealth generating, it is wealth redistributing. When money is created, it does not enter the economy in a uniform manner with each member of a society receiving equal numbers of new dollars, pounds, pesos, euros, or yen. 
rather, newly created money enters the economy through specific channels in the form of loans, bailouts, or asset purchases by the central bank. The beneficiary of the new money may be a government, a business, or a certain individual, but whoever it is, they experience an unearned gain. With the newly created money, they can purchase more goods or services, or make investments at a greater level than would otherwise have been possible. It should never be forgotten, writes Reisman, that inflation always represents an unearned gain to whoever is in a position to introduce the newly created money into the economic system through his spending, and a corresponding loss to the individuals who make up the rest of the economic system. When the recipients of new money spend it or invest it, one of the results is a relative impoverishment of the rest of society. For as the new money percolates through the economy, it puts upward pressure on prices, as more dollars compete for an unchanged supply of goods and services. The higher prices that result from an expansion of the money supply lowers everyone else's purchasing power. The recipients of the new money, in effect, transfer goods, services, and assets to themselves that could have been purchased by someone else had it not been for the actions of the central bank. Or as Murray Rothbard explains in his book, What Has Government Done to Our Money? Monetary inflation confers no general social benefit. Instead, it redistributes the wealth in favor of the first and at the expense of the laggards to the race. And inflation is, in effect, a race to see who can get the new money earliest. The latecomers, the ones stuck with the loss, are often called the fixed income groups. As much of this wealth redistribution favors the government, this central bank policy can be considered a form of covert taxation. Unlike the income tax, sales tax, or property tax, where the taxpayer is aware that his or her money is being taken, the covert tax of a monetary inflation is discreet. Creating new money to fund government spending allows politicians and bureaucrats to divert wealth and resources to whoever they choose. But as the money spreads through the economy, it puts upward pressure on prices and diminishes the purchasing power of all those who are not a direct beneficiary of this government spending. Like any form of taxation, therefore, a monetary inflation is a wealth transfer from the citizenry to the state. Or as Rothbard explains, the essence of inflation is the process by which a large and hidden tax is imposed on much of society for the benefit of the government. Using a monetary inflation to fund spending allows governments to expand their powers far beyond the limits that would be imposed on them were they to rely solely on more traditional forms of taxation. For most citizens would not consent to paying the high levels of taxes needed to fund modern governments, and only do so because a large portion of the tax is covert and masked in a diminished purchasing power. If governments were honest and directly taxed the citizenry, most people would realize they were being fleeced and quickly stop supporting the politicians responsible for impoverishing them. Some people may contend that the ability of governments to finance their spending through the creation of money is a benefit of this central bank policy. For during times of crises, governments claim a heightened need for resources, and printing money to fund these needs allows them to act without having to take the unpopular action of raising tax levels. But as Robert Murphy explains in his book, Understanding Money Mechanics, to claim that monetary inflation is needed to deal with a crisis, 
really just means that the citizens of the countries involved wouldn't have tolerated the huge increases in explicit taxation. Instead, to finance such unprecedented expenditures, their governments had to resort to the hidden tax of inflation, where the transfer of purchasing power from their peoples would be cloaked in rising prices that could be blamed on speculators, trade unions, profiteers, and other villains, rather than the government's profligacy. The insidious nature of a monetary inflation does not end here. It also drives wealth inequality. For second to politicians and bureaucrats, the rich are the greatest beneficiary of money creation. To understand why we must recognize that one of the key mechanisms by which central banks expand the supply of money is by artificially suppressing interest rates. Low interest rates entice people to borrow newly created money through the banking system, and who are the people most capable of borrowing this cheap credit? Those in the upper class, as they possess more of the assets needed to act as collateral on loans. With access to this cheap credit, the rich can spend it to purchase real estate, equities, fine art, vintage cars, precious metals, and other forms of wealth. The elevated demand for these assets pushes up prices, and this increases the net worth of everyone exposed to these asset classes which again, is primarily those in the upper class. The greatest beneficiaries from the Fed's policies of the 21st century, writes Edward Chancellor, were the financial elite, who got to enhance their fortunes with cheap leverage at a time when asset values were driven higher by easy money. As one commentator put it, the top 1% of income-earning households that are most exposed to the market economy are dramatically outperforming the remaining 99% that are exposed to the real economy. In addition to allowing politicians, bureaucrats, and the upper class to leech wealth from the rest of us, there is a further reason why a monetary inflation is economically destructive. The low interest rates that drive this policy act as false signals, enticing individuals to overconsume and businesses to overexpand, to a degree not warranted by the long-term fundamentals of the economy. Easy money, explains the economist Henry Hazlitt, creates economic distortions, encourages increased borrowing. It tends to encourage highly speculative ventures that cannot continue except under the artificial conditions of low interest rates that have given birth to them. On the supply side, the artificial reduction of interest rates discourages normal thrift, saving and investment. It reduces the accumulation of capital. A commonly used analogy is to compare the flooding of an economy with easy money to a drug addiction. When an addict is using a drug, he is in euphoria. But when the drug is taken away, his body and mind crash. For a booming economy, the drug is the easy money fueled by the low interest rates. But when interest rates rise and the easy money stops flowing through the arteries of the economy, a crash ensues. But the analogy can be taken further. The crash for a drug addict is necessary to return an individual to a state of sobriety and health. And so too is the economic crash needed to return an economy to health. The crash clears all the economic deadwood or malinvestment out of the system and transfers capital away from inefficient uses and away from unsustainable entrepreneurial endeavors, or as Rothbard explains. The depression phase is actually the recovery phase. 
most people would be happy to keep the boom period, where the inflationary gains are visible and the losses hidden and obscure. The stages that people complain about are the crisis and depression, but the latter periods, it should be clear, do not cause the trouble. The trouble occurs during the boom, when malinvestments and distortions take place. The crisis depression phase is the curative period. Central banks have been flooding the economic system with easy money for decades. This has been a boon for the growth of the state. It has enriched the upper class, and it has created bubbles in the price of assets such as equities and real estate. But in the process, it has impoverished the middle class and the poor, and we are now facing the menace of an accelerated rise in consumer prices. Central banks are trying to tame this increase in price levels by raising interest rates and tightening credit conditions. But with so much debt in our system, at an individual, corporate, and governmental level, a rise in interest rates threatens to collapse the house of cards upon which so much of the economy is built. Removing the drug of easy money, in other words, is setting us up for a crash. Will central banks keep fighting the rise in consumer prices with higher interest rates and allow a curative crash to unfold? Or will they follow the pattern of the past several decades and at the first sign of a serious collapse in equity or real estate prices, cut interest rates once again? If they choose the latter, they will be flirting with fire. For as Ludwig von Mises explains, If once public opinion is convinced that the increase in the quantity of money will continue and never come to an end, and that consequently the price of all commodities and services will not cease to rise, everybody becomes eager to buy as much as possible and to restrict his cash holding to a minimum size. Everybody is anxious to swap his money against real goods, no matter whether he needs them or not, no matter how much money he has to pay for them. Within a very short time, the things which were used as money are no longer used as money. They become scrap paper. Nobody wants to give away anything against them. Sign up now and get instant access to all our premium. Well, there we go. Um, let me just stop the screen share here. Uh, excellent video and excellent artwork in that video too, mind you. I thought that was really good. Um, very clever. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the one one of the takeaways there for myself from that one, uh, Ethan, was that he talked about the curative period. He's like, well, you know, the, when everything's on the rise and interest rates are low and everyone's borrowing and blah blah blah. You know, no one's seeing the bad hidden things um, that are going on, the bad investments, blah blah blah. They're only seeing the boom, and they see. He sort of mentions that the. The crash and you know all that sort of shit is actually the, the curative period. Everyone's they're cutting rid of all the dead wood and all that sort of stuff. And like I get all that, you know, I get that that happens and that's just part of uh, you know our economy and the society that we live in at the moment and stuff. But he sort of said, you know, where we are now, we're at that point now where, well, they've had that we've had that period and now we're on the interest rates are going up again, like we just talked about before here in Australia. Um, and the, to me, it's like I said, like what I was monologuing before, like that the crash seems to be imminent. It's, it, it's, it's, I don't think it can happen anyway. Like it has to happen. Um, and I've heard them talk about people that are sort of trying to put people ease and going, oh, no, look, don't worry. There's going to be a few more rises and in, in stuff, but the, the rates will come down again in future. That's what they're sort of saying now. But 
I kind of don't think they will do that because that to me won't be the that that calming period again and getting the boom back. Because what did we talk about before was the implementation and the preparation of the CBDC infrastructure that's coming in. So instead of the curative crash and then lowering rates again to sort of get everyone back on track, they're not going to do that. They're going to go, well, the rates are up here for a reason. They might taper off or they might flatten them perhaps maybe, but they've got their solution planned, mate. You know, we know what their, their solution that's planned. It's They want this central bank digital currency in. They want to offer that up to get that system in place. And then they'll fuck with the rates and all that sort of stuff. That'll still happen in the future. But once that system's implemented, it ain't fucking going anywhere. It's here to stay. You know what I mean? They want that merging of those two systems to take place. So we'll still have the cash. I think we'll still have a cash economy. It'll still be around. But people are going to be pushed on to using CBDCs, using their, their you know, crypto... RBA coin or whatever it is to do all their banking, to do all their transactions, to do as much as they can with it. And then the phase out of cash will eventually happen further down the track. Um, once they've realized that once they've got everyone on board, once they've got a generation on board and they've cleared the deadwood of our older generation, Ethan, that doesn't use smartphones, that can't do internet banking, that still uses cash and all that sort of stuff. Once that, once that generation has cleared away and, and the next generation, because they, they know all this, They've done studies on this. They, they 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 work out what our society does and how it operates. You know what I mean? They they know that anyone in their sort of I guess sixties and below now are the ones that are using the tech. They know they're capable. They understand it. The basics of it, at least anyway. They all have a smartphone. You know what I mean? The older generation, the sixties and up and onwards, who are a bit sort of stubborn, a bit more stoic, you don't want to do all that sort of stuff. And you can't make me use this. Blah blah blah. You know. In, in 10 to 15 years time when they've finished using their cash and they're starting to die off CBDCs are here to stay cash go bye bye that's why I think the long term plan is mate back to you yeah mate it seems that way you know it seems like gradual introduction you know it's optional at first that's for it. people that may be worried about the unstable economy and then eventually it becomes the only option the yeah. same way they're going to do with facial recognition digital identity all of that's just optional you can sign into my gov right now with your digital id but that's yeah. optional you can still sign in with your password and stuff but what happens when that is no longer optional just like the iphones where fingerprints to open your phone were optional and now on the new models they're mandatory there's no buttons and the optional thing is scan your face to open the phone and then next that'll become no longer optional mm. so you see how this process sort of works and you know that video did a great job of explaining they've really got nowhere to go now mm. it's either a sort of a crash or they cut interest rates again and try to continue this zombie system that's been going on for several decades now but they mm. either way to maintain their control, you know, they need to, to switch. They need to do the swap yeah. and, and gradually get people in, inflate your money out. So, yeah. again, it's it's worthless money and, and people go, well, look at this new currency. How good is that? How good is that? Yeah, or like great they'll, they'll give them extra, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll make it worth your while to get on board, you know. Exactly, mate. But during the Great Depression, you know, there's photos of Australian kids flying kites, made out of money mm. because it was just that useless they were down at the park with you know two dollar bills or whatever and they just made a kite out of it because mm. 
money was worthless during that time. It was just communities and local food banks yeah. and people money didn't mean anything yeah. during and we've that seen period. those examples and like out of germany back in the day out of zimbabwe in the more modern day we've seen the same examples yeah yeah mate so this is where you know we, we, we can sort of anticipate where this type of thing's going but unfortunately we're all caught up in this we all live in this sort of matrix system and that's why i always encourage people to disconnect as much as you can try and become more reliant on yourself even if it's just to offset the, the costs of living, like um, food, you know, grow vegetables so you don't have to pay all of those outrageous vegetable costs and do what you can to try and disconnect yourself as much as possible from this system that's going to be transforming and transitioning, you know. He explained it well in that video. Assets are really good. Real market economy stuff, not this fake economy, actually having land and resources that yeah. are real tangible things even physical really gold and that. silver like people bang on about it and have been for years but even then it's that's it's never going to lose its value that stuff you know what i mean absolutely mate yeah. so this is where things are, are going to continue and again we're not financial gurus and wizards but <laughs> we've <fun> been <laughs> we've been you know tracing this for, for ages you yeah. know and, and can see where this is going and all of our listeners have seen where this is coming from for years this is how they they want to do it and you've got to see the best way that we can maneuver around this yeah and i think uh, like you know, in that previous that in that previous video ethan she sort of offered up a few like you know she's like oh you know people are asking me for the solutions but let's just see what other people are doing and you know people are out there they're, like she, we mentioned it well, they're hoarding seeds or buying ammo or gold and silver and blah 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 but what, what i think that the little things like is those the small credit unions that are sort of operated by like small towns and stuff like these are the things that that will probably weather the storm, I think, because it's all local money. You know what I mean? They've, you know, if if they set these things up correctly and they don't do, you know, all this ridiculous, um, what's the term when they lend more money than they've got and shit? Um, something. Fuck, I can't think of it now. Reserve? No. Never mind. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like when a bank has. $1,000, say the bank has $1,000, but they can lend out 10 times that much. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, something lending. Uh, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Anyway, people know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, so they don't they don't have this sort of stuff. It's like small communities. You know, the, the multiple farmers, you know, they do their business through them, the local town. It's all built up around these small credit unions, which are you know the, the, all the township people are all members of it you know so i mean like these are the things that will probably probably weather the storm unless they get some sort of harsh laws put on them where they're like oh we're going to close everything down and can you know and steal all your money from you and then they don't have any choice but to do it or whatever you know what i mean like there's going to be some sort of way to resist but that's another form um of this sort of of of, of money as a thing still being able to work for people and, and work for small communities these are the ones people should be getting behind stop going to the big four banks to borrow your money and all that sort of shit you know smaller credit unions are the way to go um but yeah so speaking of banks in australia specifically you know we are in fact um we're, we're losing lots of them and i actually one of my clients i was talking to the other day because i'm you know we talk about I actually talk about this subject with him. I'm like, yeah, cash is king, mate. You know, like, um, I try and pay cash wherever I go, all this sort of thing. And he's like, yeah, me too. He's an older guy. 
actually told him the stories about my going out to dinners and, you know, the whole checking in and, you know, the restaurant being shit, all that sort of stuff. I've told him all these. He loves it. <laughs> but anyway, he, he's one of the old ones. He, he's like, yeah, I hate using the phone to do this and blah, blah, blah. And he hates all that shit. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know. That's what we sort of talked about. You're that generation. They don't fucking like. They want to get rid of you. Um, but he's like, yeah, I went to go to my bank because I knew you were coming. I was going to go and get some money and the branch was gone. I'm like... Wow, okay, wow, another bank branch closed, you know, and it's, they're happening all over the place. They're closing bank branches left, right, and center. They're, they really only have these in sort of major hubs now. And when you do go into them, there's probably more, more ATMs in there than there are actual tellers now. Like the one I go to, there is one teller, and there's, a, there's always a line to see the one teller, but you can use the ATM as much as you want, you know what I mean? It's all that big push to get rid of the face to face and the manpower, blah, blah, blah. That's, of course, not the real reason behind it, but made over at TOTT News. Again, link will be in the show notes for all the uh, listeners out there if you want to go and check this out for yourselves. 12th of January, you put this you put this one up, Ethan. Uh, Australian bank branches are closing at an alarming pace. Approximately 1,300. <laughs> That's actually quite staggering. 1,300 bank branches have closed on a national level in the uh, five-year period of 2017 to 2021, inclusive, including a 23% decline in regional areas. So there we go, getting rid of those regional bank um, branches as well. Of course, these are probably more of the bigger ones as well, but I'll, I'll hand this back over to you, mate, just to, to go through this one, uh, skim, skim through it if you want, but go through this with the listeners. Um, yeah, take us, take us through it, mate. Bank branches in Australia. Again, this is part of the problem we're talking about, closing these up as well. Yeah, that's it, mate. Here, it, it comes from a. Here we go. Sorry. No, you're right, mate. Um, it comes from a a report from the Regional Banking Task Force that happened right. in September of 2022, and you know we've seen all of this, these news stories, and other bank closes, all of that type of stuff. But a final report has come out, and as you mentioned, there's a 23 percent decline in both regional and national branches. Um, so each area has seen a decline. It's not really a specific to the regions or the cities, but totally, as you said, 1,300 branches since that's, 2017. That's massive, and man. That is a big number it's in just huge. that um, really short is. amount of time. Yep. And remember that, you know, we only had two years after that, 2018-19, before we got smashed into lockdowns and that whole pandemic period so it's not like much has been going on in the world like a whole generation has gone past or whatnot this is just empty closed branches all over the country and they say that we should expect closures across cities and suburbs and one businessman robert bull as you members can see on the screen there um, said that there will be no banks in 10 years' time. And it'll probably be quicker than that, you know, at this rate. But, yeah, photos there, the Cooper Pedy branch, just notices on the board talking about closures. And what is interesting is that there's petitions out there which have criticised this report, actually. So these are the official stats, General. Mm-hmm. But the, a report has criticized this by saying that Australia, regional Australia, has lost 62% of its banks since 1975, leaving just 1,062 located mainly in clusters of larger centres. Yeah. So, 
you know, Australian towns fighting to hold on to their bank branches, replacement services. And this also follows ATMs as well. It's not just the bank branches, it's ATMs that are all across the country. So at least 2,150 terminals were actually removed in the June 2020 quarter alone. Wow. And this goes to show they don't actually say how many have closed because I assume if there's 2,100 just in a quarter, there'd probably be tens of thousands of them. But they highlight that this has been a 20% loss in total since 2016 of the number of active ATMs that are nationally active. So 20% loss in ATMs, and we're also seeing massive 23% declines in both regional and national locations for bank branches. So this is happening at a, a very staggering pace. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you know, research that was conducted by my bank found that since the pandemic outbreak, more than two-thirds of Australians are using less cash in favour of contactless technology. And, again, I highlighted in that article, again, the prediction we're going to be cashless by 2024 and really just trying to drive home that notion especially because, you know, cashless payments will grow, financial surveillance, and corona had a lot to do with that. Remember, General, when they were saying, um, you know, don't deal in cash because yeah. the virus will be all over the notes. All oh, the money's dirty. <laughs> filthy money. Filthy it's money. It's dirty. It's dirty. Like, people, the viruses on the money. People this type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they did, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah tapping, tapping everywhere. Yeah, got to use the tap, tap instead. Yeah, fucking idiots. Absolutely. And so when you see this research saying that two-thirds or 68% of Australians are using less cash because of that whole period, mm. you can see, again, this problem, reaction, solution. But if you're looking for an Australian bank branch, like if I want to go join ANZ right now, the closest branch to me is a 20-minute drive probably the browns planes one near me mate <laughs> well you got the that's it you got the browns planes one although there's one up near the logan hyperdome, oh, the hyperdome yeah and, yep. and the thing was is that we used to just have them locally here they just closed up shop commonwealth anz they just used to yep. be local in the town center here but now you've got to go on a 20-minute drive. And what's that going to be like in five years? Mm. You're going to have to go for an hour drive somewhere. Yeah, in the city. And yeah. then there's one in the whole state. Yeah. It'll be, it'll probably be the one one out of Brown's Plains will be the one left in the state, just like that Pizza Hut that's out there, the dine-in, or <laughs> yeah. you can eat Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah it's one. like the last one in the state, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so that's where it'll be, the last one. Yeah. So it won't be... Won't be that oh, no. no, you know what you know what it'll be? Oh, here we go. Instead of it'll be like uh let me just switch back here just so I can show the viewers this this is this will be the future of banking, right? It'll be I'll be like, honey, I gotta go to the bank. I'm gonna go to the bank, yep, let me just put my uh my my, my virtual reality on. Oh hey, Mr. Bank Teller, hey, how's it going? Yeah, that's that's what banking will be, mate. I guarantee you it'll be some sort of VR go visit the bank in your meta fucking verse fucking bullshit. That's what <laughs> that's what it'll be. 
I'm telling you, mate, you can wow. you can do virtual. Yep. You can go and buy a car in the metaverse. You can get there's there's a, there's a virtual Kia store. There's a virtual fucking like BMW whatever. You can go and buy a car virtually and stuff now. Like this, this I'm telling you, it'll be a virtual bank like that. That's what it'll be. And you're all, and you, you're actually just doing it still... for some sort of Bitcoin bullshit, probably. Not Bitcoin, <laughs> but you know what I mean. And they'll still be blocking you. They'll still be blocking you, trying to direct you to the ATM. Yeah. What are you trying to go speak to a human for? It's like, I'm in the metaverse. You're not even real. And it's like, no, no, I'll show you. You can do everything on this ATM over here. Yeah. <laughs> They'll still be doing it, even in the metaverse. Uh, you still won't be able to talk to anyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sorry, back back, back to the article in. there, yeah. And you, you were nearly finished, sorry. But, uh, I just had to interject. Hey, I wanna, it's like, hey, I want to get... I want to get $500 out. What do you mean you want to get money out, huh? What are you using that money for? Yeah, please well, tell us what you're using that money for. Yeah. It's my money, mate. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much it, general. Yeah, Just okay. highlighting the, the really alarming rate that all of these banks and ATMs are closing. And again, what's it going to be like in five, ten years? And again, this is completely all linked to this cashless society and this whole agenda. And digital ID will link into all of this. This is what digital ID will be, essentially just you proving who you are in this new digital dystopic economy that we're yeah. going to have. That's really all it is. So I like what you put at the end. It's all here, coming. Mate. Yeah, you got much like most things we see. Data is not the real world model. The map is not the territory. There are still many real-world problems that, and case studies that might show uh, this is an ill-fated prediction, especially if more people begin to wake up and start using cash again. Use cash, people. Use cash. Uh, cash will always be king. Let's all ensure it stays that way, despite the gloomy outlook. Yeah. Um, my Absolutely, mate. That's, you've always that's got to sure. stay positive. Yeah, you've always got to stay positive. And I say that with this whole, let's say a crash is coming up and a massive grind period. And as you said, let's say the most extreme scenario gets to that's shutting down small businesses and banks with laws and stuff. This presents the perfect opportunity for all of us to just say no and not accept their solution and just do something different. Do what the Greeks did during austerity and just start bartering our resources. Oh, you can build a house, well, I can grow this and form communities, get to know each other better. This is a perfect opportunity for us to grow something special. It's not often, as as we've said now. Absolutely, Mm. but it's not often, mate. As we've just said, this comes around, what, every 100 years or so? That's what I was gonna say before, yeah. That cycle, that that 100 year cycle, sorry, go. Absolutely, mate. But it's not—it's not often that this system breaks itself down. Like we've always spoken about this, that it's really impossible in a lot of respects to overcome this behemoth, interwoven system. But there's moments like this where they intentionally collapse everything, hoping that we'll just take the solution on board. But what if we say no? Mm. They've just broken down their whole economic monopoly money system. It's all completely worthless. And if we say no, that's the, there's never been a better opportunity to say no. That's that's true. Because just it's, say it'll no. already yeah. be gone. We talk about this. It's like, oh, what would happen if people 
pull their monies out of the bank and stuff. Well, as long as this system is going, it would only cause harm to you because we're all caught in this system. Yeah. If we crash the banks, let's crash the banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would only affect everyone yeah. of us. But yeah. what happens when they're already crashed and it's already gone and they're trying to tell you they're holding the carrot, the digital central bank currency, and we say no? That's a perfect opportunity throughout this whole thing and i think there's never been a better opportunity people seem to never be more awake even if it is a, a minority of people that can say no and build something new and fresh mm. that just bypasses all of this help make them shoot themselves in the foot right when it means the most that's what people should be focusing on as yeah. well so there's always positives yeah. despite the gloomy outlook there's yeah. always opportunity in chaos and we should take that opportunity yeah yeah, 100%. I mean, look, if it's... And I would say to people, like, if it really does start to kind of look pretty, you know, pretty dire and banks are starting to fail, blah, 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 then look, I mean, look, people are going to want to get their money, Ethan, you know what I mean? Like, they are going to... If people get scared, they will run on the banks. They will go and transfer their money out. They'll go and do something or they'll move it to another institution or whatever. And that's probably maybe the the better thing to do. Maybe people start, need to start doing their homework, looking at other ways, other forms of of money if you want to still use the money of some kind like maybe go and buy some crypto or whatever or some bitcoin or whatever you know and, and start trading with that you know um I, I still think that's still a viable option as well um it's actually i mean i think since those bank collapses in the states you know bitcoin's actually started to go back up again i think as well um yeah so but also maybe start investigating like i mentioned earlier some of the smaller small owned family credit union type places you know and move it from a big bank and, and put it in theirs, you know what I mean? And prop, you know, these are the guys that are probably going to be helped to be propped up a bit, you know, because then they'll, they'll would definitely weather the storm, you know, and you've got some, you know, local money that's being used for local things, you know. Um, that's probably one of the other things you could do. But I know people will, they're going to want cash, they're going to need their money out. Maybe just, maybe just start hoarding a little bit, start putting a little bit aside every now and again, you know, get hundred bucks out a week cash and just fucking stick that under the mattress or whatever. But, but you're right. Upskill as well. Learn to, to do things, trade your skills, trade things for other things, for other resources and stuff, you know, like go and buy, go and buy some chickens and, and stuff. You know what I mean? Like eggs, price of eggs are fucking ridiculous at the moment. I've got eggs coming out of my ears, Ethan. I can't, we can't eat enough eggs to, to keep yeah. up with the fucking supply. You know what I mean? So I, I'll tell my neighbors, I'm like, Hey, you need some eggs here? Just fucking whatever to come get some, you know? And, so, you know, I, I, he goes, he helps my, my neighbor helps me with certain things as well. You know, if I need help with anything, he's like, yeah, man, what See? do you need? So he just, he offers me, he's got good skills and, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, what do you need? You know? <laughs> so there are things you can do. Talk to people, talk to your that's neighbors. That's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's going to be the most important thing. Yeah. That's the most important thing yeah, right there. That, the, that natural development. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not the be all and end all. It's not going to. It may not save your life, but it might help make things a lot easier for you in future when the shit does hit the fan, when the crash comes. Because I do think it is coming, folks. That's what seems to be the writing on the wall, seems to be part of the plan. Uh, problem, reaction, solution. Definitely, definitely going to squeeze that into the title of this episode somehow, I think, Ethan. CBDCs, problem, reaction, solution, or something like that. We'll work it out. Yeah. Um, Hey, uh, one thing before we wrap up uh, today, um, the last episode um, of the show has done quite well. Um, people have sort of responded well to uh, the chat GPT episode we did. Um, 
yeah, it's doing quite well for the first month and the first week of the downloads and stuff. So I hope everyone enjoyed that episode. Very interesting. Uh, I just wanted to just touch in with you. Have you um, had a chance to have a bit more play around with um, either ChatGPT or any AI stuff? Is it, um, you know, have you kind of been able to use it like a tool, like we said, to help things that you do uh, on your end there at all, Ethan? Yeah, I've sort of had a, a little play around. I remember I sent to you that now yeah. the WordPress builder now has its own um, sort of similar thing, also developed by OpenAI, mm -hmm. but it's sort of a little bit more limited and it's sort of just a trial thing. But mm -hmm. it, it definitely, you know, in, in terms of sort of research can help a lot, you know, if you ask it questions and it, it tries to find, you know, research you might have, spent hours trying to find i remember i sent you a, um I, I made it type out the how the rosicrucians influenced freemasonry mm -hmm. and that's not openly you know available knowledge you've got to do some searching for that look through some newsletters or yep. what have you but because this ai has so much in it it can just find it straight away yeah so in that sense it did help you know and it, it definitely does seem again like i said in the last episode it's still trying to get it to sort of understand our perspective and what our language is and everything but yeah. you can sort of trick it into understanding things and that's it reword it's, it and stuff i think but, it's going to learn you know, from you at the same time too did you see though what i was going to bring up was that they've even they've brought out now an even more powerful one just in the last week open ai has brought out something that's 10 times more powerful than chat GPT. Oh, I've missed. I've been which like could be a, a whole episode. My last week has been a bit shit. So, uh, it, what what is it? What are they, what are they calling it? Is it another version of it, or what's the go? Yeah, well, um, it's called Chat GPT Four, a new foundation for Chat GPT. Yeah, I knew another one was and coming it's, out. It's a, yeah, so it's already come out. Right. Um, Fuck, that's quick. Literally, literally this week, and it promises to use. To open up new use cases, according this article here, I'm just closing some ads, of the chatbot technology. So now it can have visual and audio inputs and a whole range of more powerful um, types of um, natural language processing, it's called. Yeah, wow. So it's, they say that it's going to be multimodal models that will offer completely different possibilities and essentially it's going to handle inputs in several languages beyond english and they're trying to incorporate conversational applications into this so it can have more of a conversation with you instead of just splurting out sort of a, a, an answer based on what something you ask it based off research yeah, it's, it's actually going to be more of like a human touch to it so this is just in this fortnight chat gpt four has now come out yeah, wow. and you know we haven't even looked at that and how much more powerful no, it, that's going 3. to be 3.5 only came out in november last year so geez that's quick it is quick they and must it be says using here chat that... gpt to write the next chat gpt <laughs> <laughs> create a new chat gpt <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah that's it it probably it's that's probably what they're doing yeah but it says it's it's exponential it, it wants to do human-like responses to queries yeah fuck so i, thought, I already thought it really... was pretty human-like to be honest like it was <laughs> damn close yeah it's i don't know Inject how it's going get better in there. your response yeah <laughs> 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 these fucking bogans fucking can't yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it'll be saying shit like that. Yeah. Wow, that's full and on, that's man. Right. I'll have to look into that. That's that's huge. I do follow a Chat GPT um, podcast, but I, I, honestly, all this week I haven't even listened to it, so I'm a bit behind. I'll have to get onto it. Um, get well, have a look at this quote real quick. Yep, go. It says, "Quote," and this is a statement by Chat GPT. OpenAI, they're talking about how they trained ChatGPT 3.5 as the first test run of the system. And get this, it says, quote, GPT-4 has the same number of parameters as the number of neurons in the human brain, meaning that it will mimic our cognitive performance much more closely than ChatGPT-3 or 3.5 because this model will have nearly as many neural connections as the brain has. Wow. End quote. That's huge, so, man. That's... Wow, that's <laughs> scary good. But, and f- what is powering this, man? Like, that's, that is in some hardcore computing, man. That's, that's quantum computing for sure. Gotta be. It's gotta be. Fuck. Has to be. Oh, man. That's... Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that. That is full on. I wanted to share this with the... <laughs> <laughs> a good mate, a good mate of the show, who's, who's listened and was supporting the show for a while as well. I won't say his name, but um, this is this is what he sent me as a message. He goes, "Not going to lie, mate. After listening to a podcast, I started thinking about using this shit to our benefit." As in ChatGPT. So to that end, I signed up as a fake name, etc. Of course, to ChatGPT. First thing I did was get it to write a standard bullying complaint to Human Resources. Save me a good hour or two. Only needed a few minor tweaks. <laughs> he goes, I'm not sharing any of this shit with my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, I loved it. I thought that's fucking excellent. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that's what I mean. It can be a pretty yeah. powerful tool. It can be very helpful to use. Um, but again, just practice mindfulness. Be mindful of what you're putting in and the and what you're getting out of it, etc., etc. Um, but, yeah, full on. Hey, there you go. Cool. <laughs> but the way, the way it's going, mate, we by the time you master one version of ChatGPT, the next one comes out anyway. Oh, you know? yeah. Like we haven't even learned 3.5 properly yeah. and we've already got four coming out and it's like, oh, slow down. Yeah. Well, you know? I was like saying that they were talking of, of in, um, embedding it into Bing so that when you go to Bing, like I sort of, I think I mentioned on the last time we did the recording, yeah, yeah, that there was a thing for, for you know, Microsoft being on the on the Skype saying you know, to upgrade or in, integrate it into it so it can chat to you whatever for responses and stuff. So they are definitely doing it. I thought that was going to be the next iteration of it, but it appears appears not. Maybe they're going to wait a little bit longer. Who knows? But that's, oh, wow, full on moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. This is why I was telling people, fuck, you've got to get on board with this. You need to get up to speed with this very quickly because this is going to be a part of our modern society before we know it, it's going to be here. It already is here, and look how good it is already. So, don't don't wait, folks. Get on, play around, have a little look. You know what I mean? Learn learn about it. It's it's going to be a tool that if you if you don't get on board now, you're going to get you're going to fall pretty far behind very quickly. So yeah. Um, yeah, mate. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah, that's I have been using it, and then I saw it, new ones come out, and yeah. so it's like, man. We are in the the new age, aren't we? Yeah, man. This is getting yeah. crazy now. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's gonna be it's gonna be the point. Like everyone's probably seen Iron Man. You know what I mean? Like where you, he, Tony Stark talks to Jarvis. You know the computer thing. It's just like gonna be like that. It'd be like, you know, do this for me, blah blah blah. And you just say it, and it's bang, there it goes. And it's it's probably gonna have a voice output. It'll talk to you in response. Oh, I'll just set my voice to an Englishman or you know, a British woman, or you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it'll sound like that when you're talking, having an actual conversation. It feels like with someone, but it's just AI. It will get there. That's what we'll see real soon. Probably before the end of the year, it sounds like. <laughs> Mate, as long 
as long as I get kit oh. and I'm like Knight Rider. Yes. I'm, I'm cool. Oh, totally. I'll take off in kit. Yeah, we totally and need... And have a chat with me. Oh, I hope that's going to be like a... Yeah, like you download a skin for <laughs> it, so to speak. You'll have kit there talking to you. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Well done, I... Yeah. <laughs> Copyright it. Yeah, yeah. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, well, that about wraps it up for this show, brother. We've just passed an hour and a half mark there. I hope everyone has enjoyed and... Uh, yeah, any questions or comments or if you're intrigued about any of the banking stuff or if you've got any insights yourself, maybe you're listening to this and you are in the banking sector as well and you want to uh, have your two cents worth, then um, yeah, just send me an email or uh, comment on the episodes, whatever it is, but um, spread it around. Um, yeah, Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review over at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and stuff as well. It uh, definitely helps the reach of the show. Um, Still doing very well. What are we hitting? Getting close to a just over 160 odd thousand downloads for the show already. So it's doing quite well, but did slow up there towards the end of last season. I reckon, I reckon, Ethan, we kind of got shadow banned a little bit actually, and it seemed to happen. Funnily enough, just after we had um, blank on the name now, the episode 20, I think. No, it was before. Jim came on the first time. What was her name? The lady we had on. About, um... Why am I goddamn blanking? Technocracy and all that sort of stuff. Remember the the lady? Hang on, I'll bring it up. Alana. Alana Freeland. Thank you. Um, yeah. After we had her on the show, like, the the, the listens went from in the... the uh, averaging around a thousand odd in the first week down to half of that or less. Like, it just went... Yeah, so it's like she's been flagged and anyone who gets her on, you're going to get... Um, yeah, you're going to have trouble getting reaching your audience. Because um, that seems seems to be what happened. Oh, no, she was after. So episode 21. Yeah, so like Jim Lee, you know, before that, 3,500, 2,500, 4,500 downloads, you know, of these episodes. And then as soon, just after we had Alana Freeland on, it went down to... 900 an episode, 700 an episode, 900 an episode, 1300 there with Jim Lee, we got him back on the bolster numbers there, it was good. Uh, 800, 900, 900, 800, like, that, yeah, they saw a definite decline, so um, something definitely happened there, it's kind of strange, so we definitely need the help of everyone out there who is listening to give us a five-star rating, give us a quick word, say, say g'day, you know, tell us you like the show, um, and I'll have a look next week. Um... And I'll read some out on the air too. I'll, I'll definitely read out some of your reviews as well. So let's do that. All the listeners out there, please get a little bit proactive for us and help us out. I'd really appreciate if you guys could do that. Um, don't care if you want to support me financially or whatever. That's completely up to you. Big thanks to all the guys that do. And again, who support Ethan as well. Um, but definitely get on and give us a, a five-star rating and review. That's probably going to help actually more. It's not going to cost you anything, but maybe about two minutes of your time. So we really appreciate it if you uh, listeners could do that for us and I'll, I'll read some out on the next uh, episode there too. All right, that about wraps it up. Ethan, thanks, man, for coming on. Appreciate the chat and all the good work you've been doing over there at TOTG News. All the links for your articles will be, of course, in the show notes as well. Thanks, man. Good to have you back on. Thank you. Thank you to everyone out there. It's been a pleasure. Catch you next time.
certainly wasn't the right. Why? It wasn't coming on Fader 11. 